you turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2? If you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's found on page 838. Uh, in the last few weeks since Dr. Keller was here with us, been thinking about uh, the idea that he really challenged us with, about what does it look like for us to build friendships with people who are outside of these walls. It's been something that's intriguing, exciting, and, and convicting for me, and it helped lead me to this passage here this morning. So would you uh, look with me at Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark writes, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And this lesson also helps us to see that we don't get any better so long as we pretend that we don't need help. Our passage this morning presents us with two different groups of people. Those sick sinners who are eating with the one who can make them well. The other group is those who pretend to be well, keep themselves distant from the healer and distant from other sick sinners. We're faced with the danger of pretending that we don't need help, pretending that we don't need healing from the great physician, and subsequently having no connection with other people who need his healing power. So what I hope for us to see together this morning is that we must truly experience Jesus healing our sickness if we're to be people who eat with sinners and invite them to know Jesus' healing. So we'll look at two different points. Firstly, the challenge of eating with sinners. And secondly, where we get the power for eating with sinners. So firstly, what's the challenge of eating with sinners? A couple different reasons why this is a challenge. Firstly, is that Jesus pulls together some really messy people. The passage begins with the call of Levi. Levi, as we know, if we've heard sermons about the Gospels, is a tax collector. And tax collectors aren't exactly at the top of the list for the people that you would want your kids to be around in this day and age. Right? You've heard about tax collectors. They're the people who would skim a little bit off the top. Take a little bit more than what was theirs. Greedy and selfish. Uh, this is the person that Jesus initially calls. And they have this reputation. They weren't allowed to do certain things because of it. They weren't invited into synagogue fellowship. In fact, their money wasn't even accepted in the offering plate because it was considered dirty money. For the church to say no to somebody's money, it's got to be pretty dirty, right? Uh, but these aren't the people that, that you would choose to be around. So Jesus starts with Levi, and then he gathers together his friends and co-workers, other tax collectors and sinners. And this group that Jesus is putting together is, is a group that would have been marginalized, ostracized, lo looked on as outsiders. They, they were people who didn't even really pretend they weren't part of the people of God, and they didn't try to make it look like they were. These were outsiders. But Jesus isn't content just to gather a group of outsiders. 
He has to up the ante just a little bit more. Looking at this passage in conjunction with the first chapter of Mark is interesting for us. Because back in Mark 1, we're also told that there Jesus was walking beside the sea, teaching and then calling people. And there, back in Mark 1, we're told that he calls four different fishermen to himself. Simon and Andrew, James and John. Four fishermen are called to leave their nets and come and follow him. They do so. Those were the first followers, the first disciples. So we fast forward to chapter 2. And again, Jesus is walking beside the sea. This time, instead of calling the fishermen, he calls the person who would have likely been the one who was taxing those fishermen. Right? So, so Jesus calls Levi the tax man responsible for taxing the fishermen. And then he says, let's have a dinner party. Let's get together these messy outsiders with the people uh, that would have hated them as much as anybody. It's not just that there's social boundaries being crossed, not just religious boundaries being crossed, but there's this personal tension that these fishermen would have had with the person who had just been collecting their tax. And Jesus says it's a really good idea to have all these people at Levi's house for dinner one night. Jesus gets people together who would have never gotten together on their own. He does things that aren't easy or natural for us. So a lesson I've had to learn over the years is this isn't easy and natural. I would like to think of myself as somebody who's kind of comfortable around all kinds of people. Somebody who, who could have a dinner party like this. But uh, just at different points in my life, I've had to, had to realize that I'm not quite as far along with this as I thought. And one of those times was uh, shortly after Michelle and I had started dating she got to know kind of my, my core group of friends from college in Atlanta. And after a little while, she, she said, you know, y'all are just a bunch of me-toos. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, whenever any one of you talks about something that you like, whether it's a, a new restaurant or, or music or food or sports, the rest of you say, yeah, me too. I like that too. Uh, there's no difference whatsoever in any of your opinions. None of them like to go to the doctor either, I can assure you. <laughs> but on maybe a bit more serious note, um, I, after college as well, I, I was working for this college ministry and there was uh, another guy, an African-American guy who worked for the same ministry that I did and he worked on a different campus in Atlanta. And I mean, we, we had come from culturally very different experiences. Uh, he grew up in a part of Atlanta where there, there really weren't a lot of white people. And I grew up in a part of Atlanta where there really wasn't a lot who didn't look like me. And so um, through some mutual connections, we end up living together for about two years. And so I'd say, well, that's, that's great. You know, you kind of cross some, some lines there. But I, I look back on that, and do you know how many times he and I went out to eat together? None. In two years... It's not quite as easy or natural for me as I would like to think. So why is that? I think it's because we're more like the religious leaders in this passage than we would really like to admit. Verse 16, after the dinner party is going, we see the, the scribes of the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and they say, why, why is he eating with those people? Why did he get them together? Why, why is he crossing moral and social lines? Why is he disrupting the status quo? Those people aren't part of the club. They're not religious insiders. 
I think there, there's some kind of fear for the religious leaders that if you get together with somebody who's not like you, that there's some uncleanness that's going to rub off on you. And we look at that and we say, oh, that's terrible. But if we're honest, we have our own clubs. We have our own groups of, of Christians, of people in the church, who probably mostly look and talk and believe just like we do. And those are the people that it's comfortable to get together with. Those are the people that it's easy to have a dinner party with. We're, we're honestly not often drawn to get together with people who would make things a little bit uncomfortable. I was talking to our staff about this idea this week and just asking, you know, why, why is it so hard uh, to, to eat with sinners? Why is it so hard to get outside uh, of our little clubs and groups? And I got a few different answers that I thought were interesting. One person said, honestly, when I get together uh, with my non-Christian friends, it's just exhausting to, to hear about everything going on in their life. And I feel like I don't have the bandwidth to deal with everything that, that's wrong with them. I said, hmm. Another person said, I, I think that they're going to think that we're weird and just not really want to spend time with us anymore. Another person said, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid uh, that it's kind of a one-way relationship where I'm having to do all the investing and they're not thinking about me. And I think all those reasons are legitimate so far as they go, but they don't seem to have stopped Jesus from eating with sinners. And you know, there's another kind of dinner party that Jesus went to as well. In Luke chapter 7 and chapter 11, we see him at the dinner parties for the Pharisees. The dinner parties that they had for their own insider clubs. But the way that he addresses people at those dinner parties is a little bit different than this sinner party. At those parties, we see him saying things like, Woe to you for cleaning the outside of the cup, but not the inside. You keep all the rules, and yet inside you're full of greed and wickedness. At another one of those parties, when a sinner walked in and received looks of scorn and disdain, he offered her forgiveness and looked at the Pharisees and said, You who are forgiven little, love little. At these sinner dinner parties, he says things like what we see here. I've come not to call those who are well, but those who are sick. I came for the sinners. So friends, I ask you, if Jesus came to one of your dinner parties, what might he say? The problem for us isn't our race. The problem isn't our political party. It's not our socioeconomic level. The problem comes when our hearts get hardened as we get disconnected from grace and forget what it's like to extend the welcome of grace to others. If we begin to see ourselves as those who are well, we're going to work really hard to avoid those who are obviously sick. I'm convinced that everybody here has somebody who's an other for them, who you would consider them and not us. For some of us, it's more in the moral or religious realm of things. Maybe it's just somebody who's not a Christian, somebody who's kind of a nominal cultural Christian, somebody who has a very different faith. Maybe it's somebody who's struggling with an addiction that you just don't know how to understand. Somebody wrestling with same-sex attraction or some other kind of brokenness that leaves them really lonely. Maybe it's broken families that just don't look as put together as yours. Or maybe it's something that's more of a, of a social convention 
political affiliations, economic level, race. And as I said, as I think about this, I want to be somebody who's, who's eating with sinners, eating with people who aren't just like me. But as I think about, since Michelle and I have lived here, the only people we've had over to our house for dinner have been from this church. And there's something wonderful uh, about building relationships with people within the body of Christ. But if that's the only dinner parties we ever have, I'm convinced that something is wrong. So it's a challenge for us to eat with sinners. And I I would ask you to consider, who is it? Is it anybody that you're eating with that you wouldn't be if it weren't for Jesus? So we think about trying to harness the power that will enable us to do this, to overcome the challenge. Reminded of, of a quote from Jack Miller. He says, The glory of God is the difference between what we would naturally do, getting together with people just like us, The difference between that and what grace accomplishes in our lives through the death of Christ. So if we're to seek something that's not natural, where is it that we can get the power for eating with sinners? Well, firstly, we get that power when we realize that Jesus came for sinners like us. And Jesus explains that his purpose in coming is to call sinners, to heal those who are sick, And in doing that, he's he's really leveling the playing field. He's saying that everybody is welcome, but all must come to me for healing. And so the message of the gospel is, is that Jesus died because we're so sick. And he rose from the dead so that we could be healed. But we don't tap in to the power of that gospel until we realize that we're sick. We talked a little bit about Levi, the tax collector, One who would have had a reputation for being manipulative, greedy, competitive, dishonest, and selfish. And here we see that when when Levi heard the message of the gospel, when he heard the invitation of Jesus, he perked up and said, that's for people like me. And he runs to follow Jesus. And after that, has a dinner party with a bunch of other sinners. So friends, as we think about those things that don't look so good on other people around us, the things that just kind of annoy us, the the arrogance, the boasting that we see in others, the critical or complaining spirits, defensiveness, blame shifting, we do well to look in the mirror and consider where those forms of our sickness are present in ourselves as well. I've been leading a group of guys in a study on Friday mornings for the last few months. And uh, during one of those times, we were spending a little bit of time sharing what was going on in our lives together. And I was, I was telling the guys that um, things with Michelle, we'd just been a little bit disconnected. Just missing each other a little bit and trying to figure out what exactly was, was going on. Explaining kind of how I saw it from, from my perspective and maybe how she was misunderstanding me. And uh, one of the guys very gently, very kindly, looked at me and he said, you know, it sounds like you're doing a lot of of worrying about how this is affecting you. Uh, But it doesn't seem like you're putting a whole lot of energy into putting yourself in her shoes for a minute and into hearing her side of things and to hearing what she's feeling. That's one of those things that really got my attention. I was reminded of my sickness of selfishness of only focusing on my needs and desires. But you know what that did too? 
It prompted me to come back to Jesus for some deeper healing than I had experienced in quite some time. When I was able to hear once again how sick my heart is, I got to experience the healing of Jesus one more time. So friends, whether you've never come to Jesus for any kind of healing, whether you're a leader trying to get others to come to him, the challenge is for us to continue to see ourselves as sick patients, not as healthy doctors. Jesus is the healthy doctor, and we want people to go to him. The religious leaders saw it as as kind of a scandal that those people would eat with Jesus. But friends, it's a scandal that we get to eat with Jesus. And if we get that, if that breaks through our hearts, then we can go and eat with sinners and feel the freedom to share with them our ongoing sickness that Jesus is working on healing. So if we're wanting to do that, here's a couple of of practical thoughts that I have. The first thing is, start where you are. We hear this message that we need to be eating with sinners, that we need to be out there on mission. And it's easy to think that, well, that means I need to, to drive across town, or that means that we need to pack up and go on a mission trip. But friends, your neighbors need healing. Your coworkers need healing. Those who are closest to you need to know Jesus is healing. So start where you are. Secondly, pray for one sick sinner who needs Jesus every single day. And it might just be one person in particular that's on your heart right now. Pray for them every day. There might be seven people and you want to pick one for each day of the week to pray for. But make it part of your routine that you pray for one sick sinner each and every day. And then the third thing I would say is make space in your schedule, space in your life to host a dinner party with an equal number of people who are following Jesus and an equal number who aren't. So get two of your couple friends and two of your single friends here at church and then get together three couples and a single friend who are far from Jesus. Two people you know from here and two people who would never set foot in here at this point and see what might happen. Because as we're looking for the power to eat with sinners, uh, what I want to say is that Jesus promises to show up if we'll get sinners together. Think about Matthew chapter 28, that great commission the call to make disciples, convinced that this idea of eating with sinners is part of our process of making disciples. But what's the foundational promise in verse 20 that underlies that great commission? Is Jesus telling us, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So invite people over for dinner who are going to make a mess. Whether that's a literal mess, whether that's an emotional mess, a spiritual mess, Invite people over that on your own, you don't have the power to love. Because none of us can love six sinners as we ought to do. But put yourself in a position where you have to depend on him. Invite messy sinners over and then ask our healer, our doctor, to show up there with you. Friends, I'm betting that if you'll do that, he's going to show up. Because he loves to prove himself when sinners get together. A few months ago, got a chance to invite him to show up. I had a friend from Atlanta coming into town for the weekend, one of my Me Too friends. So you can just kind of picture me and think that, you know, another one of me is coming to town for the weekend. And this is probably the one that Michelle would say is the most Me Too friend, right? Um, 
And so, kind of know he's going to be here for the weekend, making plans. And along the way, uh, another new friend that we've started to get to know since we lived here asked us if we wanted to have dinner on that Friday night. Uh, And this friend that Michelle initially connected with, and now we both kind of slowly but surely been befriending, um, isn't a me too friend in many ways. She would identify as a Buddhist and is in the process of transitioning from male to female. And uh, there's things about her life that are really, really messy. And yet she wanted to have dinner with Michelle and I and a few of her friends. She's the one initiating the dinner party. And I said, well, we're going to have this other guy in town too. Can he come? And she's like, absolutely. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a good idea. What are these people going to talk about? Like, this could be really, really bad. But you know what else I thought? This is the kind of dinner that Jesus would love to show up at. And so we went ahead with it. And we ended up spending five, six hours together talking, laughing, learning about each other. We talked about how awful dating is and all the frustration that comes with that. We talked about work, the joys of it, the things that are hard about it. We talked about our families, what it had been like to relate to our parents over the years. We talked about church, who's welcome and who's not. We talked about relationships and loneliness and insecurity and sexuality. Along the way, one of the things that I began to realize is that uh, the, the places that she needs healing aren't all that different from the places that I need healing. And so we talked about Jesus. And our friend's not yet in the place uh, where, where she's coming to Jesus for healing. But you know what I'm praying for and hoping? A, a few more dinner parties where Jesus shows up and she might just be there. And you know, part of why I'm able to hope that is because Jesus is planning one big final dinner party. The marriage supper of the Lamb that he tells us about in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus is getting ready for that dinner party as he calls sinners to himself today, tomorrow, the next day. And you know what? The guest list for Jesus' final dinner party is a lot bigger than the one that you or I would have put together. And so today he calls us to come to him for healing, to get ready for that dinner party. He says it's not too late. Whether you've been pretending to be well, whether you've known you were sick, but been afraid to come to him for fear of what might happen, he says, come to me today and I'll begin to make you well. After six months of letting my eye get worse and worse and worse, finally went to that doctor. She gave me a very simple plan Uh, for how my eye would get better. And that's to put on this hideous blue mask five times a day for 10 minutes at a time. It's not fun. But you know what? It's working. After I reached out and asked for help and admitted my need, came to somebody and my eye's been getting better and better ever since. So whether you've been waiting for six months or six years or 60 years, This morning, would you bring your sickness of soul to Jesus? Because friends, he is the perfect healer. And he'll lead you to invite other sinners over for dinner and be healed by him as well. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we're glad that you've sent Jesus to be the friend of sinners. And we ask that 
you would be deeply at work in our hearts and in this church. We want to be a people who eat with sinners. We want to be a people who are introducing sinners to the one great healer of soul. And we know that this will only happen as we continue to bring our own sickness to Jesus. So would you make that happen in these moments? Would you meet with us intimately? Give us your grace and love and power. In Jesus' name, amen.